Hello, and welcome to Quantum Computing Now, a podcast about quantum computing basics, news, and interviews. I'm your host, Ethan Hansen. Today's episode is going to cover a lot of quantum computing fundamentals, and even if you think you know the basics, stay tuned. You might just learn something new. Every major player in the quantum computing game uses something different to program their machines. Google has Cirque, IBM has Qiskit, Microsoft has Q-Sharp, Rigetti has PyQuil, D-Wave has their Ocean SDK. So, what should you get on board with? That's coming up right now on today's episode. One of the main reasons I'm making this episode is to answer the questions that people have been asking honestly pretty often of, how do I get started with quantum computing? I find for myself that the very best way to get started is often to just jump right into it. So I hope to give people who are interested enough inspiration to do that with this episode. I know oftentimes if I'm presented with a plethora of options that don't really have clear upsides or downsides, like let's say Cirque versus Qiskit, then it can be a little daunting. I have... um, I have analysis paralysis where I overanalyze everything instead of just jumping right in. So hopefully this brings it down to the level of basics, what's going on with each individual framework. Maybe you can just disregard a couple that you know I don't even need to analyze those and you can spend more time doing and less time overanalyzing. So speaking of just jumping right in, let's just jump right into it. The first framework we're going to talk about is Qiskit, because it's the best known and what most people will probably use when they first get started. What I'm going to do for each of these frameworks or languages or simulators is read a little blurb about each framework that's on each's website or read the docs. Qiskit.org says Qiskit is an open source quantum computing software development framework for leveraging today's quantum processors in research, education, and business. An interesting tidbit, um, Qiskit is short for Quantum Information Science Kit, but it's almost never referred to that way. So yeah, Qiskit, backed by IBM, but it is open source. You can find all of the code for all of Qiskit, as well as a plethora of examples, tests, all of that um, online. Uh, The GitHub repo links in the show notes if you want to take a look at that. Um, That being said, IBM does have a heavy hand you know, they're really invested in Qiskit, they want it to do well, because Qiskit is the framework that you use to program IBM quantum machines. Um, If you want to jump right in to programming IBM quantum machines, the IBM Q experience is a way to play with actual quantum hardware for free right now. You can seriously sign up for an account, it's instantaneous, you get credits to run your programs for, you know, Uh, You don't get to run them forever, you have a set amount of time, but you get to run your programs on actual quantum hardware. So that's pretty cool. Um, Yeah, this is a good place to get started if you want to just jump right in, like I said. Part of that is because IBM strategy has been to help the open source community, uh, sort of guide them in the direction that IBM wants them to go, give it a good structure, and then say, Oh, look, since you already you you're already used to Qiskit, you might as well use IBM hardware because they work together so well. Um it's sort of a repeat. If you know what Texas Instruments did, there are a bunch of really interesting 
and I'm not going to come anywhere near explaining this as well or being as interesting, but there are a bunch of really cool, um, there are a bunch of really interesting video essays on YouTube about how Texas Instruments became the dominant force in graphing calculators, in uh, especially in the United States, um, and it's because they made sure that they had Texas Instruments like how-tos in the most widely distributed textbooks. So yeah, Qiskit has an intro to quantum computing textbook. That's open source online. If you want to contribute to it, you can, which is really cool. Um, and also very, very clever of IBM because there's not a chapter that goes by in that textbook where IBM isn't mentioned. Uh, that might be a bit of an exaggeration, but IBM does come up a lot. But yeah, the, the textbook is a great place to start for most people, whether or not it is promoted by IBM. Link to that in the show notes. It's actually really, really well made. There are some things you'll need to know going into it. Um, I just recently read through it myself. And, you know, you got it. you're going to want a good background in linear algebra, knowing about tensor products. They do explain all of this in the textbook, but not nearly as well or as thoroughly as, say, the Khan Academy course does. So yeah, things like tensor products, inner and outer products, that sort of stuff, matrix multiplication. It'd be best if you had a firm grasp on that before you dove into the textbook, but if you just want to get started, totally fine. You, you'll be able to, you know, get along just okay. Another nice thing is just how many options you have with Qiskit. You can run on actual hardware, or you can simulate the quantum system. You can even select what exact hardware you want your program to run on, specifying the number of physical qubits the machine has, you know, within reason from the list of machines IBM has made available to the public. So that's, you know, if you want to run on actual hardware, you've got to select from a list of certain machines. If you're simulating, you can change how many qubits you've got to play with, as long as you're, you know, your classical machine can simulate that within a reasonable time frame. Very recently, Qiskit <coughs> also added support for trapped ion devices. So now you can even test your code on those. Um, those come from AQT. Um, so you've got to remember to set the back end from AQT, not IBMQ. You know, this isn't a tutorial for that. Podcast wouldn't be the right medium for that anyhow. But if you look up online you know, how to set trapped ion device or how to use trapped ion devices with Qiskit, it should come up. So to sum up all of Qiskit in sort of one sentence... Qiskit is a one-stop shop for pretty much everything a beginner needs to jump into quantum computing. It also, you know, not just for beginners, it's great for beginners and also for people who are actually wanting to do quantum computing research because you can run on actual devices. I should probably add the disclaimer that Qiskit is only the only one of these frameworks that I'm going to talk about that I've actually played around with recently. I looked into Q-sharp when it was just coming out, but things have changed since then. As such, I'm probably biased towards Qiskit. Uh, counterpoint to that, maybe I have only played with Qiskit because it's the most accessible framework, and the bias isn't really a bias, it's just Qiskit is more accessible and perhaps better. Who knows? Could be either way. Just, you know, 
take this with a bit of a bit of a grain of salt. So yeah, next thing is Q-tip. Um, I think best thing to do is just read straight from the website first. So website says Q-tip is an open source software for simulating the dynamics of open quantum systems. Q-tip aims to provide user-friendly and efficient numerical simulations of a wide variety of Hamiltonians, including those with arbitrary time dependence, commonly found in a wide range of physics applications such as quantum optics, trapped ions, superconducting circuits, and quantum nanomechanical resonators. Being free of any licensing fees, Q-tip is ideal for exploring quantum mechanics and dynamics in the classroom. So it's an open source simulation software. It's not software to run actual programs on actual hardware. A lot of people, when they're talking about this, you know, I've actually seen Q-tip um, compared to Qiskit, which is odd unless you're comparing just the simulator part of Qiskit to Q-tip, in which case Q-tip will probably come out ahead. Um, is this more? It's more of a research tool. If you're interested in performing research into the bare bones quantum information science, that's more physics than computer science. This is something to take a look at. Um, it's it's a it's especially interesting for research as a lot of work has gone into making sure the program is efficient as possible. Um, if you want to, you know, simulate complex systems and you want to do it faster and more efficiently than Qiskit will do, or any of these other frameworks for that matter, Q-tip is probably your way to, way to go. Um, however, if you're doing just, you know, simulating a couple gates on three qubits, you're fine using any of these other frameworks. This is if you're, if you're diving into the, the hardcore science behind quantum mechanics and quantum uh, theory that goes into quantum computing. Q-tip has also <coughs> been around longer than any of the other tools on this list, and as such, they claim to be the most well-tested quantum simulation software out there. I don't know about most well-tested, but it is certainly very thoroughly documented and tested. They have a multitude of tutorials and even links to quantum mechanics lectures that use Q-tip. Um, so this is the real, real deal. To sum it all up, Q-tip is a good program for you if you are learning quantum mechanics or quantum information theory and need to simulate a complex system as efficiently as possible. However, it can't run anything on actual hardware, actual quantum hardware that is. So if you're looking for a way to run or test out a quantum program on an actual quantum computer, this is not the framework for you. Next, we'll move on to Q-Sharp. Q-Sharp, from the website, is a domain-specific programming language used for expressing quantum algorithms. It is, used, it is to be used for writing subroutines that execute on an adjunct quantum processor under the control of a classical host program and computer. Until quantum processors are widely available, Q-Sharp subroutines execute on a simulator. So this is not a framework. This is a whole quantum computing language created by Microsoft because it's Microsoft and they've got to be over the top. Um, <laughs> so this is something that might be interesting to look into. It's not super useful to the rest of the world right now because as far as we on the outside know, Microsoft has not created a single qubit successfully. This is because the type of qubit they are attempting to create, um, so cut them some slack. We'll talk about different types of qubits later. Um, I don't want to dive into topological versus superconducting versus trapped ion right now. 
Um, although there was a funny meme that went around Twitter a while back. Um, purists unite. <laughs> um, anyhow. Yeah, it's not something that's super widely used right now. Uh, because people want to be able to run their programs on actual quantum hardware. You can simulate the quantum circuit you make. Um, it's also quantum circuit based. I don't think I mentioned that before. Um, which is, it's going to get, it's going to be important to specify that when we get to like D-Wave. Um, but not on, or quantum gate model. But uh, you can't actually run your Q-sharp program on an actual machine yet. Um, another reason it probably hasn't picked up nearly as much steam as, say, Qiskit is because Microsoft hasn't worked on promoting it as hard as IBM has promoted Qiskit with their Qiskit on YouTube series, their Qiskit textbook, Qiskit camps. Um, you know, IBM is a big sponsor behind those Qiskit camps, and that generates a lot of buzz in the quantum computing world, and there just isn't anything like that from the Q-sharp side. Um, there's also another barrier to entry of having to install Visual Studio and the Microsoft Quantum Development Kit, as opposed to just saying pip install Qiskit and boom, you've got Qiskit. If you want, if you really want to use Q Sharp, you've got to go through a couple extra hoops. Um, it is nice Q Sharp you can use in Jupyter Notebooks, even though it isn't Python. Um, but again, there's a couple extra hoops you've got to jump through to do that. And, you know, another barrier to entry makes it less likely that people are going to pick this up. So, to sum up Q-sharp, it isn't very widely used for pretty much anything. If you work or want to work at Microsoft and want to get into quantum, this could be for you. However, that's a small subset of the overall population. Uh, or if you're counting on those sweet, sweet topological qubits working and want to be ahead of the game when they do, check Q-sharp out. I guess when or if they do. So, moving on to PyQuill. PyQuill, from the website, is a Python library for quantum programming using Quill, the quantum instruction language developed at Rigetti Computing. PyQuill serves three main functions, easily generating Quill programs from quantum gates and classical operations, two, compiling and simulating Quill programs using the Quill compiler, QuillC, and the quantum virtual machine, QVM. Three, executing programs on real quantum processors, QPUs using quantum cloud services, QCS. <clears throat> As you can see, Rieti really likes their acronyms and <laughs> shorthand. So this is, yeah, Rigetti's own flavor of quantum library for Python. Um, just like all of the other ones that we've talked about so far, it is written as a library or package for Python. Um, and it's just one part of Rigetti's Forest SDK, which includes PyQuill, the Rigetti Quill compiler, called QuillC, and their quantum virtual machine. Um, there really isn't much, to, much else to add to this, other than it's used slightly less than Qiskit, but more than Q-sharp, if I recall correctly. Um, Quill is short for quantum instruction language, which I sort of already mentioned which is Brighetti's flavor of a base-level quantum programming language, as opposed to um, CASM, uh, quantum assembly language. Uh, it is open source, so that's good. Um, so far, all of the ones that we've talked about are open source. There was some iffy open source stuff with um, Microsoft Q-sharp, because um, 
I mean, if, if you want to install it in Visual Studio, that Visual Studio is not open source. Visual Studio Code is, however, and they you can run it in that. Um, and for a while, it wasn't open source, but um, not super recently, but sort of recently, Microsoft did open source their um, their Q Sharp compiler. There's a link to that in the description. Um, I was like. <laughs> I initially I was talking to a friend about this and said, well, it's just the compiler that they have open sourced. And he retorted with, yeah, but what is a programming language other than its compiler? I said, touche. Uh, shout out to Nick for being smart on that one. Um, anyhow, back to PyQuil. It's open source. Uh, link in the show notes for information on how to get started um, there's the, you know, read the docs and all of that good stuff. So summing this all up for PyQuil, we have a Python library that is very similar to Qiskit. If you look at it, it looks visually very similar. Part of that's because it's Python, also because it's just um, a very, very similar um, design philosophy around the, the how they implement the quantum instruction language versus chasm and how that translates into the higher level stuff like Qiskit and PyQuil. Um, so yeah, very similar to Qiskit with the ability to both simulate and run on real hardware. Difference being in scale and what types of hardware you can simulate on, as well as the fact that it is much more accessible to work with Qiskit and IBM's hardware. This all keeps coming back to accessibility, which I think is the big takeaway here. All right, next one is Circ. Circ is a quantum is a software library for writing, manipulating, and optimizing quantum circuits and then running them against quantum computers and simulators. Circ attempts to expose the details of hardware instead of abstracting them away because in the noisy intermediate scale quantum regime, these details determine whether or not it is possible to execute a circuit at all. So that last little bit might be a jab at Q sharp. I don't know. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to put a personality on the people writing this that they didn't actually have. But Q sharp does uh, talk about how they want to abstract away the base level stuff so that you can just say things like quantum Fourier transform as a function rather than having to make a circuit and writing the gates for quantum Fourier transform. Whether you can look that up and copy-paste it or not, it's still a lot easier to just say quantum Fourier transform versus copy-pasting in all of the gates that you need and making sure that those are set up properly. Um, Circ is saying it's better to have to copy-paste in all those gates and all that because in the noisy intermediate scale quantum regime, those details determine whether or not it's possible to execute a circuit at all. Whether, because there's so much noise in these machines that we're running, it matters um, what exactly is going on between individual qubits, the gates between those qubits, all of that they're saying matters. So that's interesting. Um, this is Google's, uh, Google, Google is the one backing CERC, um, which is, it's interesting that even though Google is arguably more of a superpower than IBM, the fact that Qiskit is winning in this field with IBM and Qiskit versus Google and Circ um, 
and even though Cirque is very similar to Kiss Kid and Pikeville. Um, one thing to note is that right there on the front page of Cirque's Read the Docs, it says, Cirque is currently in alpha. That's all bold, by the way. Cirque is currently in alpha. We are still making breaking changes. We will, that is emphasized, we will break your code when we make new releases. We recommend that you target a specific version of Cirque and periodically bump to the latest release. That way you have control over when a breaking change affects you. I really, really appreciate that, like, straightforward, honest tact of we will break your code. I think that's amazing. Um, what that means is that it's possible to use Cirque in a stable manner. You just have to be a bit more tech-savvy and careful around it. Um, but to be fair, if you're tech-savvy enough to be using Python libraries to attempt to program a quantum computer, you're probably tech-savvy enough to get the right version of those Python libraries. I think I don't think that that's that big of a deal. I don't think that that should be something that stops you from looking into Cirque. Um, I, Cirque seems really interesting, and I don't want to play around with it more myself. Um, I wish that they had something like the IBM Kiskit textbook, where it's a, it's a one-stop shop for everything you need to know about Cirque and quantum computing. Um, something like that doesn't exist. The Read the Docs look... Um, I wouldn't say they're great Read the Docs, but they're not terrible either. So going through that and the getting started probably a good place to start. So Cirque, to sum this all up, like Kiskit, does appear to have the ability to work with ion trap devices, which is cool and interesting, and it looks like it's a very comparable framework. Um, that being said, they are making breaking changes, so be careful. So, next one, Ocean SDK. This is D-Wave's whole environment. So remember, D-Wave is adiabatic quantum computing using quantum annealing to solve problems. That is a universal quantum computing model, but there is polynomial overhead in the qubits. Um, <laughs> which feels like I just spouted a bunch of technical jargon, because six months ago I don't think I would have understood that if someone said that to me. Um, if you did understand it, great. If you didn't understand it, that's all the more reason to reach out to me on Twitter, at one Ethan Hansen, ask questions so I actually have um, listener questions at the end of the episodes like I've always wanted to. So, back to Ocean SDK. This is from their Read the Docs. Ocean SDK, sorry, Ocean Software is a suite of tools D-Wave Systems provides on their D-Wave GitHub repository for solving hard problems with quantum computers. Short, but sweet. I, I dig it. Um, so to add some more information to that, because that was literally just one sentence, here are all of the different packages that their SDK installer requires. D-Wave Network, D-Wave System, D-Wave QBSolve, D-Wave Hybrid, D-Wave Neil, D-Wave Taboo, Dimod, Dimid, I don't know how to pronounce that, NumPy, and PyCubo. Um, this is sort of like how Kiskit splits up into Terra, Aqua, Air, and Ignis, as far as I can tell. Uh, just sounds way less cool. <laughs> um, that's not, not a rip on D-Wave in any way, just, it, I, I think, I really, I really like the naming, um, the fact that you've got the different elements that go into Kiskit, I think that's really cool. Um, but yeah, all of those are different 
parts that you can, different things you can do with D-Wave, different levels of abstraction as well. Um, and, you know, that gives you, I guess, a little more flexibility in what you want to do. Um, and perhaps makes it so that you have to import less code, which can take a while. I'm not entirely sure on their reasoning behind that. If anyone from D-Wave is listening and wants to reach out, um, or people in the community who have worked on D-Wave, because, like I said earlier, there's a D-Wave GitHub repository, that I would, I'd love to have you on the program to explain some of that, what the difference is between each of those. So yeah, specifically to help D-Wave clients run their programs on D-Wave machines. So they're made for adiabatic, adiabatic quantum computers and adiabatic quantum computers only. There is a simulator. Uh, they call it a classical solver in the SDK. That you can use on small-scale test slash verification uh, cases. Um, the classical solver, it's interesting that they call it classical solver instead of, say, simulator, because um, adiabatic quantum computers use a known form of solving that's just faster on quantum computers than it is on um, classical computers, which is you know, how most people describe quantum computing, uh, but with like a quantum gate model, that's not really how it works. But in this case, it is. Anyways, side tangent over. In the end, this is another specific framework designed for a specific architecture. To some extent, this makes sense, it is as it is almost like having different assembly languages for different architectures. Also, that specific architecture is not very available to the public. That being said, D-Wave is working on making it more available with their Leap program, but IBM and Qiskit still come out ahead here. And that ends sort of the, the big names. Um, but lastly, I want to mention Q.js. If you look up in your favorite search engine, Q.js, it will tell you that it is a library for dealing with promises in JavaScript. Uh, that's not the Q.js we're talking about here. Sort of an unfortunate name. Um, but yeah, the Q.js we're talking about here is also the name of an entirely in-browser quantum simulator. So I'll just, I'll read the, the little blurb. Q is a quantum, is quantum computing in your browser? What? The, just so you know, this, this uh, extra personality flair, I'm not adding it. This is on the website, which, you know, teach their own. <laughs> Q is a, is quantum computing in your browser? What? Okay, okay. It's a quantum circuit simulator because you can't do quantum computing using whatever non-quantum device you're reading this on, eh? So why build Q? The same reason Google, IBM, Microsoft, and more have built quantum simulators to enable everyone to explore quantum circuit design using a cheap and easy medium for sketching before applying those designs to the real and rather expensive hardware. So there really isn't much you can do with Q.js right now, but development is ongoing. Honestly, this doesn't really compare with other frameworks. I've mentioned this episode, it's a whole other beast. But to be fair, those other frameworks I've mentioned in this episode have big names like D-Wave and Google and IBM behind them. This is just some guy who reached out to me on Twitter, said, hey, I've got this cool thing. Want to mention it on your podcast? I said, I would love to mention it on my podcast. Um, so I guess it just goes to show good things happen to those who contact me on Twitter. Go ahead, shoot me a message at one Ethan Hansen. But seriously, I think this is really cool. Uh, the, the democratization of quantum computing is uh, an awesome phenomenon. 
and I think that anything that helps people jump in and get started easily, like Q.js, is super cool. So go ahead, check this out. Links are in the description to the both the, the GitHub repo, which has the source code for Q.js, as well as the Q.js website, which is a github.io um, page. Yeah. And I think that pretty much wraps it up. If I had to summarize this whole episode, it comes down to accessibility. A lot of these frameworks are really similar. Some of them will target different types of computers or different types of hardware. Superconducting qubits versus ion trap. Uh, adiabatic versus superconducting versus ion trap. Um, some do a couple different like superconducting and ion trap, but really that that those differences pale in comparison to how easy is it for someone who wants to just jump right in to get started. And the winner there has to be Kiskit. Other companies are catching up, but if I think that at this point Kiskit is your best bet if you're a complete beginner or you know a little bit and you want to jump right in. Look at the Kiskit textbook, look at Kiskit, and go ahead and jump in with that. If you're interested in these other ones and you've got questions, go ahead and reach out to me on, like I keep saying, on Twitter. Um, but I think that, that that pretty much does it for this episode. All right, for previous episode corrections, there are none as far as I know. I still have to get around to doing an episode on Quantum Fight 2019, which I've promised for a while now. That should be out before 2019 is over. That gives me, a, what, three, four weeks? Uh, it should be enough time. I hope. <laughs> for listener questions, I actually did get a listener question. That was super cool. I was able to answer it, but I'll share it with you in case you're interested too. Someone reached out to me on Twitter and asked if quantum computing could be a game changer in artificial intelligence. I said, yes, definitely. Um, there are already known ways that quantum computing can be applied to machine learning, like VQE and QAOA. Um, and that was actually the topic of my conversation with Amira Abbas in the previous episode. If that's something you're interested in, uh, quantum computing or artificial intelligence, be sure to go and check that episode out. I also really appreciated all of the words of encouragement I got from people about the podcast. They're, you know, not really questions, but I still, I like it nonetheless. Um, it means a lot that people care about what I'm throwing out on the internet and that I'm not just screaming into the void. My favorite DMs on Twitter came from two separate people living in two separate cities in two separate countries who texted me about, you know, three days apart or DM'd me about three days apart. They both said that they binged all six episodes I had out because they enjoyed them so much. Um, I hope you can hear the smile on my face. That was really encouraging. Thank you all. Um, you know who you are if you're listening to this episode. As always, I have all the links to all the things in the show notes. If you want to know more about any of these frameworks, be sure to take a look there. If you still have questions about which one in particular you should get experience with, feel free to DM me on Twitter at oneethanhansen, shoot me an email, oneethanhansen at protonmail.com. I love answering questions people have because it means people care about my opinion, 
and they like what I'm putting out there. If you care about my opinion and think other people might, please share this podcast with your friends, family, neighbors, pets, Reddit, whatever floats your boat. That really helps get the word out there. Quantum Computing Now is produced in partnership with thequantumdaily.com. The Quantum Daily aims to cut down through the technical jargon and overhyped fluff pieces to deliver quality, comprehensible content about quantum computing. If you enjoy this podcast and would also like text resources, be sure to check out thequantumdaily.com, which I have linked to in the show notes. I've been your host, Ethan Hansen, and I'll have another episode out when I get to it.